Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I want to welcome you back to another episode of what I branded Pivotal. Since these interview style segments tackle impactful CPG industry topics and lessons from the business leaders that live it every day. You'll hear me lovingly describe Carolyn Levy as someone that confidently dances to the beat of their own drum. But what I was referring to was my belief that the most successful people in business have conviction when others don't. Because, don't get it twisted, building conviction isn't for the faint of heart. Yet, those courageous enough to go through the journey will find that if it's coupled with passion, the result is electrifying. That statement, I think, perfectly quantifies Caroline Levy's renowned career as one of the top equity analysts in the consumer space, trusted board member of brands like Celsius, HealthAid, and Athletic Brewing, and overall strategic thinker that's uncovered key consumer trends well before they became mainstream. Sounds right up my alley, right? So I knew our conversation was going to be electric, but it honestly even exceeded my lofty expectations. Despite covering a ton of categorical ground in a relatively short amount of time, you can expect a deep conversation that spans from the dynamic energy drinks market to the emerging gut health functional beverage space, and even the disruptive non-alcoholic beer category. Moreover, we share our thoughts on why CPG brands should be focusing more on delivering value over volume. Finally, Caroline and I put on our economist hats, look into our CPG crystal balls, and share some thoughts around the near-term outlook for beverage deals. But without further delay, here is the recent conversation I had with Caroline Levy. All right, so I'm naturally drawn to other strategic thinkers that confidently dance to the beat of their own drum. And and I I hope you take that lovingly uh, because I think (laughs) I can see a sameness. I I feel like there's a lot of people that take the same approaches, the same thoughts, the same wherever. And I appreciate people that are bold and and early and a lot of times like thinking, you know, outside of consensus for how they you know, make their moves, how they, you know, kind of put their thoughts out and all those types of things. And and moreover, I always appreciate people that can have conviction across multiple CPG categories, because that's like right in my wheelhouse. So um, this is really what drew me to asking Caroline for, uh, you know, some time on her schedule for this segment. I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. But first off, I just want to say thank you again for taking some time out of your schedule. Josh, I'm really happy to do this. I secretly, I always wanted to be on stage and my father talked me into accounting and economics. So I went a very different direction, but 
I love talking off the cuff about something I'm passionate about, uh, which is beverages and consumer companies and brands. Yeah. And just to kind of set the tone for the people that are on the other side of this camera uh, is that kind of what I just mentioned, um, we're going to be talking across multiple beverage categorical uh, kind of areas. Um, they're really going to be anchored to at least uh, where Caroline holds some prominent uh, board seats with brands. Um, we might get into you know something of that. Maybe it's just going to be more generalized, but I'm going to start off with a channel favorite and one that I think a lot of people love me to kind of talk about, and that is energy drinks. And for those that maybe are not aware, uh, Caroline's on the board of Celsius, which is a rocket ship that I've been talking about since uh, way long ago. And I still continue to talk about because they continue to uh, do amazing things. But let's get away from, I guess, just Celsius as a whole. And I want to get your take on just the overall like categorical growth, which has been insane. And then also like the maturation of the category. Like I feel like it's now a part of the quote-unquote like Mount Rushmore of beverage categories. That's an interesting way to put it. So Josh, if I dial back um, a few decades ago, a guy called Komal Gajabala came to work on my team and has subsequently gone on to be an analyst at Jefferies. And I remember him saying a decade ago, you know, energy drinks are the Coca-Cola of this, this generation. And if you look at it in that context, we're just getting started in energy drinks. They're going to take over from this broad, broad carbonated soft drink category that has been dominated for decades um, by cola, lemon lime, um, but in a very specific format, the, all the flavors in a very sort of one-dimensional format. Um, so I actually think we've got a long way to go in terms of energy drinks, and they deliver instant gratification. And I think that is one of the main reasons why there's so many other categories that grow up and maybe don't have staying power. I mean, water has staying power, but the margin structure is a little different there. But I really do think energy drinks have a long runway. I think you've also got rational players that each have taken of the big three, and I consider Celsius one of them now, um, different segments. So Monster's great value and a, li a little rough and rowdy and Red Bull's, you know, extreme sport, but with a little refinement and more on-premise um, heritage. And Celsius is the healthier drink, energy drink for everybody, but skewing more female than the average energy drink was. And then you've got so many others, and I think there is room for much more. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think one of the points you made around it being the new soda, like I think about a use occasion that I had been doing for the longest time and maybe initially years and years ago, people probably thought I was crazy. But now with some of the moves that you see, especially Celsius moving into like the QSR space where like energy drinks are being consumed when you're having your lunch, like a sandwich or whatever that is. And it always was, um, I don't know, I feel like people maybe thought about it as you know, originally maybe just a coffee replacement in the morning, but now the use occasions I think have expanded, which I think is super unique and, and, and kind of cool in terms of where that can go. And then you mentioned the other, you know, kind of, I guess, the energy plus category, which I think is a space that I spend a lot of time on where, you know, Celsius was kind of incubated originally in the, in the supplement space. You have, you know, even, I guess, Bang before that was incubated in the supplement space. Um, a lot of the, like you mentioned, the, the players right below the big three, if it's, if it's C4, if it's Ghost, 
Um, you know, I think Alani knew um, those brands all again had their start in the, in the supplement industry, which then brings in like a more health and wellness oriented consumer or one that is trying to utilize the product maybe for a different use occasion, like pre-workout or, you know, whatever. And it, it just really creates optionality for the category to kind of grow into a, a bunch of different places. 100% agree with you. It's just amazing. I mean, I, I actually started life as a restaurant analyst and it was all about day parts, you know, McDonald's breakfast, lunch. How do you get people in for dinner? How do you get snacks in? And I think definitely along the lines of what you were saying that um, energy drinks are segmenting into day parts as well as into brands. And so different appeal. But the other thing that's going on is, and maybe it's because I've moved to California and so I'm hyper aware of health and wellness trends, but I really think that this generation, you know, the last anyone under 40 is incredibly health conscious and very aware of labels and what goes into their body and when it goes in and weight conscious, exercise conscious. So you mentioned having an energy drink before you work out. I can't tell you how many people tell me if I have a Celsius, I have a better workout. So that's what's changed. And then there's also been such great innovation around flavor and packaging. And it's just fun. It's a fun category. Yeah, I always make the joke. It's it's not like we're, we're out there selling paper clips. Like this is a really fun space that is continuously getting, I think, more fun. Is, I mean, just as a whole, the category is full of, you know, fun stories and characters and brands and products and just like all these different things. I feel like it's a, you know, maybe they'll they'll do a great documentary soon or something on the on the space because I feel like needs to be or maybe I'm the person that needs to do that. I don't I don't know. But uh, well, before you think- move on from that. Even yeah. in the as a as a Wall Street analyst, which I was for over thirty years, even the analysts who cover beverages have a more uh, con- congenial sort of relationship than in other sectors. It's just there's so many characters, as you said, and it's such a dynamic and fun, and it's a global industry, so you're bringing in that whole element as well. Brands that translate, you know, quite well overseas, which isn't always the case in consumer. So yeah, overall, just a great space. Yes, to a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking about what you just said about the like the the day parts of the the restaurants, and I also think in beverage, I guess they translate that to like share of stomach, and you know this emergence of like energy, everything, or like how energy seems to even be taking some share from you know maybe some of the higher caffeine um, carbonated soft drinks or even coffee, if that is you know, RTD coffees or, or something like that. But I, I feel like a lot of times people are just trying to solve a problem, which is probably that they're trying to get stimulated in, in some way. And they are interchangeably picking these things based on maybe what their mood is, or maybe what feels right, or maybe what's most convenient at the time. But again, I, I feel like energy drinks have slowly kind of eaten away at some of these more traditional, um, longer standing categories. I think that's right, except to the extent that let's take coffee. If there's been innovation in coffee, mm. then people are still drinking that as well as an energy drink. Um, every day I go to Civil Coffee around the corner from me and I get my iced oat milk latte because I like the whole um, the experience of going in and buying it. So I think that what a great brand does is they create that feeling of having an experience, even when you're just getting the can. And I think that's, you know, Monster does it for its um, core consumer. Red Bull does it for its core consumer. Celsius does it for, um, I think, an even broader range of consumers. 
And that's the challenge and excitement of building a brand. How do you bring in more people, have them use it for more day parts and, and so on? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that um, mentioning stomach, and maybe this is a good transition into a second beverage category, and yeah. that's around maybe gut health. And again, just to kind of, I think publicly, you're a part of the board of Health Aid, And this is, again, this is probably the, for beverage specific, because I know I talk a lot about sometimes the supplement side and, and, you know, all those types of different things, sometimes even the food side, but like on the beverage side, I think there's unique elements. Um, there's also, I think, because of the just the application of the form factor being so widely available that it becomes this scenario where either you try to simplify the value proposition, which I think maybe a la like poppy or something, or you go towards maybe the more, you know, I would say like functional, multifunctional approach of like, hey, the gut access interacts, all these interconnectivity, and you try to describe this kind of maybe new idea in people's brain. It's kind of an interesting, like, see, you're seeing two sides of it. Um, I, I, you know, who knows, and maybe both win, but it, it's interesting how brands are kind of figuring out where are they going to be at on this uh, kind of area. Are you talking about within the gut health space, within kombucha? And yeah, I think like, but I, I think gut health, you know, I mean, I, there are obviously, if you think Olipops and you think poppies, like originally they were positioned very directly into that space as well. But now it seems like they've kind of drifted more towards let's attack, you know, big soda over let's try to attack kombucha or something like that. But I do think there is like in the mind of, a, I'm thinking, you know, middle America, somebody that probably is very early on in their uh, understanding of even gut health past, I have a digestive yes. issue. Like yes. they're kind of putting all these things together. Like they don't really know a lot of the differences at this point, which is, you know, kind of maybe the opportunity or maybe it's the patience that you need to have to, to where the right. consumer eventually gets to that. Right. Well, it's a very different category from energy, for example. Yeah. So what you don't see, the, the beauty of energy is that instant gratification. You immediately feel the effect of what the drink is promising. With gut health, it's going to be much less tangible immediately, maybe over time. And then, of course, there are all the other things you're eating and drinking that, that could be affecting your gut health. Um, but I think Health Aid and GT have done a great job of building a consumer base across the United States that does actually understand what kombucha is. But it's still a very small part of the population and very low household penetration relative to other beverage categories. And what Poppy and Olipop have done is to bring gut health awareness, I think, to a broader swath of consumers. But as you said, they've done it in the form of a carbonated soft drink. And that has been massively successful. I must, you know, give them full credit, massively successful. And actually, HealthAid just launched um, Sunsip into Whole Foods as you know dipping our toe in and and hopefully with a with a really fantastic tasting product that doesn't have stevia but we are all committed i think to driving better gut health i think there's a growing understanding you mentioned that gut health and mental health are connected so the moment is now for sure there's so many people with mental health issues um and i do think both are important i think that pure kombucha is important and I think that brands will dominate there, probably GT and Health Aid, one and two for a while. And um, 
there's a lot of room still in the puppy and Olipop space as well. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I also think about it maybe as even, you know, with these, uh, the Olipops and the Poppies and, and that kind of vein, it really becomes like an entry point maybe even or less like, you know, scary thing uh, from a taste profile perspective exactly. or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then as you maybe progress in understanding just all the you know gut microbiome type situation, you start to maybe get interested and read more and you dive into different information, you then maybe start to add on or layer on maybe some of those more, um, you know, other products, if it's kombuchas or even just, you know, looking at it from a more supplement application or, or something like that, there's all these different solutions, but like you have to get in to a place where maybe it is most comfortable for you, which is, I always think about that from a lot of categories. Like there's a lot of times where people want to take you from point A to point Z, but they forget that there's all these points in between that like consumers hate radical changes. They'd rather like kind of just ease themselves into. And it's like, it's okay to offer something earlier on in the cycle to get people to be locked in to to that. And then maybe you can progress them over into something that's maybe higher margin, uh, maybe, you know, whatever it is, like everything kind of makes sense in a more like holistic business sense, but you have to trust that like there's this ramp up, I guess, that people are going to continue to be interested, which I think gut health for sure, because of all the, the connections uh, inside of the body and how that is really just, you know, the main uh, master switch of everything. Like you, I think as consumers get more interested, they're going to like, it's going to unlock for them. They're going to go, Oh wow. This is such an important part. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. I find that the passion of people that like um, kombucha is really deep. And one of the great things about sustainable brands is they have that passionate consumer base. Then getting the incremental consumer, that's maybe where you have to go beyond the original products. But it does take those people who are going to go out and just, you know, tell people about what a great experience they've had with the brand. Now you made a, comment a couple of times about the instant gratification. And again, I'm going to, I'm usually not the master of like these transitions, but I feel like I'm really doing good right now. Uh, Very good job. I'm going to talk about um, like the non-alcoholic beer space. And again, I think for where, uh, you know, intoxication space as a whole obviously has, you know, almost instant gratification element of that. But then when you move into non-alcoholic beer, there's a little bit less of that that aspect. And, I'm, and we're talking about this category because again, Caroline's has a prominency with athletic brewing. So it's one of the situations where like, maybe there's something else at play here than just, you know, that, because they are switching away from 
something that does have instant gratification to something that doesn't. Maybe it's that more health and wellness side of it. Well, the thing is you are still quenching first. So there's that element of the instant gratification. And in the case of athletic, you get to hold in your hand a really great looking can that people now associate with very high quality, great tasting craft beer. So that part, there's still that instant gratification and the feel good of I'm not going straight to alcohol. I might go to alcohol a little later in the evening or, you know, on the weekend. Um, so yes, that, that pious and virtuous feeling you get when you do something good for your health. Um, but it's not a buzz. You're not getting a buzz. But I will say the one thing that came up on a recent panel um, with Vivian Azo, who's quite an expert on the um, marijuana space, is that some people are getting their buzz from another source and then they don't necessarily want to be drinking alcohol. And there is a group of people that perceive alcohol as, you know, more of an enemy than um, marijuana in terms of well-being. So I, I think that you may be getting a different buzz. Yeah. And I think kind of what you mentioned around having a can in your hand, I think if you think about, you know, even at a, you know, networking event, say you're at Expo West, cause that's coming up and you go to this, you know, event and you're, you're, you're walking around and you don't know anybody and maybe you're really big into health and fitness, but you see people drinking here and there. And then all of a sudden you spot somebody with an athletic brewing can in their hand and you probably beeline to that person. Cause you think, this signals something about them. This probably is a symbol, an accessory to who they are, and it relates to you and you find it, you know, as a commonality and then it sparks up a conversation. So it, it ultimately probably signals something, like you said, about like the brand or the the connection, that emotional kind of element that people have within, you know, just consuming these things. I think there was a there was a funny quote that came out, I think, around it was a senator. I cannot remember who it was, but they said something around the idea that like, you know, that the hottest accessory this year is not necessarily maybe what shoes you have or what clothes you're going to wear. It's what beverage is in your, your hand. And it like totally speaks to the reality of the situation today is like a lot of people are picking beverages that are an extension of their own personality. And, and that is in itself probably some type of gratification where you can kind of tell people about who you are without actually having to open up your mouth. 100% agree with you. And I mean, liquid death bears mentioning because what a bold and brave move. And the concept, I think, was really around, you know, not everybody wants to be drinking alcohol at a concert, but you can have a cool looking water because a Poland Spring plastic bottle just doesn't make you look cool. It's not going to be a conversation starter, but liquid death will. I, I wanted to get your take on kind of the the breadcrumbs of kind of disruption and to see if you think maybe there's the, the next step towards um, away from non-alcoholic beer into maybe like, I would say like RTD mocktails or something that has some functional kind of nootropic kind of like um, feel to it. Because I think about, you know, obviously, you know, beer and RTD cocktails are kind of having their thing. You have, you know, non-alcoholic beer that's taking away from, from beer. Um, but then you, okay, what, what maybe is the next step to getting maybe some element of a sensory feeling? Um, it's obviously not going to match up traditional alcohol or marijuana like we talked about, but it serves a purpose if you're some type of functional ingredient. So maybe that lives in some type of a, you know, quote unquote beer or, or like, you know, yes. I, those, those categories are weird because like they're all really like in a lot of cases like sparkling waters and, you know, like it's it, there's this weird kind of 
you know, is it brewed regularly? I don't know. I mean, I just think like, is there something that's past the non-alcoholic beer side? Well, first of all, I think low alk beer has a role. So it may not, it may not be something so out there, you know, mushrooms or, or things like that. It might just actually be a variation on something we know very well. Um, there, when you walk through Erewhon, you feel like every possible iteration of anything added has already been done. But I don't think there's anything of scale yet. And maybe there is some great blend of things that will make you feel good and you know give you a little bit of a lift that you're not getting from a non-alk. But I don't know what that's going to be. And I think consumers right now, at least let me speak for myself, it's very confusing to try and shop that shelf. And part of me is also thinking, well, could it be bad for me? I don't want to drink something that's actually bad for me. Mm. And so I really want to know I'm drinking a trusted ingredient. So that that's a challenge, I think. I mean, tell me what you think. Yeah, no, I think what you stumbled on there, I think still from a, an awareness standpoint or just a education standpoint from customers, I also think just from a merchandising, like where that sits and, and kind of like, there's still some confusion, I think, still out there. I think that people want to make, you know, great decisions, but it's a matter of like having some of those breakthrough brands that can really like present a message that makes just instant sense for people. And they go, oh, okay, I see how this fits into my life. Because I think there's a ton of, you mentioned Erwan, like there's a ton of innovation, but the problem is not that there's a lack of innovation. It's usually that people don't know how to slot that into their lives. They don't, the brand or the, the, the they haven't done a good job at explaining like, what role does this play into your world? Um, and how do you, you know, kind of continuously come back to that? Like it's, I think that's usually the miss. It's like, you know, Hey, here's a great liquid and we put it on shelf and we think we're going to solve all of the, uh, answers or problems in the world. But it's, it's really that, you know, that step of like having and actually explaining it yes. to a point where the innovation matters, because again, like innovation for, for just innovation purposes is just a waste. Right. And that gets back to a theme I hop on against having spent over 20 years around the beverage category, but, you know, a long time around consumer brands. There are very few that are built quickly. You've either got to have deep pockets and then you can build something over three to five years. And we've seen brands do that. And athletic brewing is one of them, um, you know, very responsible spending, but well-financed. Or you've got to have staying power. And Celsius had two very long-term steady investment partners. It's almost a 20-year-old company. It's yeah. almost 20 years old. And really, if you think about what changed for Celsius is it had its passionate consumers that understood the fat-burning quality and the energy and all the benefits. But it was when we went to live fit so we could communicate a message about how we helped your lifestyle be better that's when things got super exciting. So it's that, and it's also fantastic execution and, you know, attention to detail and marketing that supports all that. But I think you've got to have one of two things. You, you've got to start with a great brand and a good tasting product. And then you've either got to have a lot of money to spend up front or a lot of patience. And so that's what it's going to take, no matter how good your idea is. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I think, um, you know, the, the, I guess the, we'll talk a little bit around like the deal landscape. Um, but I want to touch on something a little bit first is, is just 
that second route, what you just mentioned around patients. And, and I think about that of, you know, delivering value over, I think you made a comment once around like delivering value over volume, which in my mind is like, you know, thinking about this of like, you with build with intention, build with the idea that you have a strategic narrative or you have this North star that like things map back to that. If that is, you know, some type of platform, um, you know, ideology, is that some type of lifestyle that you're really kind of making sure that you feel like you're a celebrated part of customers' lives again, going back to kind mm -hmm. of that, you know, earlier statement, like there, you have to have something that is distinct and meaningful and, and kind of over time can be super defensible because really it, it's hard for then people to other people to copy those kind of more emotional connection type pieces. But again, yes. to do that, it takes a lot of time and a lot of attention to detail and a lot of understanding of like which parts match up with which and how do they all speak to each other and all the brand touch points. Um, a lot of times people just default to the easiest, I always call it like the, the more easiest, lowest common denominator thing is like go raise a bunch of money and then just like spray and pray and just, you know, hopefully you hit on something. Exactly. No, and I think that when you're building a brand, you want to have proof points. So for example, Celsius four or five years ago had very high share at Amazon. So we knew what was possible. Um, and that's a channel of choice. Like, you know, it's like yeah. you can pick any brand off Amazon. You, they were, people were, it was the number two brand on Amazon um, three years ago. And same in Florida, where we've been the longest at Celsius. Um, it's based in Boca. Our shares are phenomenal in Florida. So we know what is possible. And so getting back to your point, you don't want to spray wide. You want to develop your loyal, passionate base. And then you can demonstrate to other retailers and investors what's possible. I think that's a, a wonderful way to build a brand. And especially if you don't have very deep pockets. So let's go on the other, I guess, path and think about just the, I guess, the deal landscape and beverage. And, and again, that could be on on the full acquisition side or is that just, you know, raising capital? And I think there's an there's where we are today, which, again, I'm not an economist. Um, I just play one on TV every once in a while. But like it's this idea that there's like there's still a lot of uncertainty from a lot of the data points that just don't necessarily give you a, a ton of confidence, at least in the you know, next maybe six to nine months, maybe. Um, and then things start to maybe clear up a little bit more based on some assumptions. But I think that maybe we, maybe most people understand that the, the times are tough right now, or at least that there's just not as much available capital for as cheap as it used to be. And it's, you know, so people are still getting things, obviously the breakthrough brands that are there, they're going to, they're going to get what they can get, but there's a lot of people that aren't like that, that are struggling, but yes. even past it, like, What's your view past, I guess, the initial phases? Are you as rosy as I just painted that picture or is it still a little bit more uncertain in your brain? In terms of deal activity? Yeah, like, you know, I would say the, the like moving into the back half of the year and especially into Q4, things start to look much better. Or at least people feel a little bit more safe to make deals or maybe there'll be more opportunities out there. Is that because you think interest rates will certainly have started trending down? By I think then? that starts to help. And I think that just there's going to be a little bit of, um, you know, I definitely think the interest rate is going to play a big part of it. I think that's going to open up, you know, the appetite or the you know, consumer confidence. And then that maybe just starts another cycle of, of a little bit of positivity over, I guess, where we've been lately of like, are we 
is a consumer strong? Is it not strong? Is it like, you know, we go from one month to the next, it seems like the points just bounce back and forth. I know. It's, you know I know. And there's also this, the sense that you hear the economy is strong, but a lot of people aren't feeling great. So it, it, it's very confusing. I think, I think that as soon as interest rates actually start ticking down, deal activity will pick up. That's just my personal opinion, because then people are like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to miss a deal. Um, if the price is going to go up radically just because rates are now going to go down a lot, because I could, finance it now and then I can refinance at a lower rate in, in six months or a year. So I might need to move quickly. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of talk that Olipop or Poppy, I guess most recently Poppy in particular, will, will be a target. And quite frankly, if I'm one of the big players in carbonated soft drinks, I think it's a great place to go because you can make it from concentrate. Um, you can deliver it it doesn't have to be cold if it's poppy and arguably even Olipop doesn't have to be shipped cold or kept refrigerated. So those are just like, in a way, just brilliantly constructed companies, I think, to play into the hands of the big potential buyers. And then I think you've got the, the, the other side of that, which is that these bigger companies are paid awfully high multiples and are kind of licking their wounds. Um, for things that haven't worked out so well. So they want to be absolutely sure that what they're buying, they can then accelerate the growth further and get really strong margins from them. And and I would imagine on a puppy that that is very possible and on, on an Olipop. But there's a little bit of um, egg on their faces from past deals. So that's the hesitation, I think. Yeah, I feel like they're waiting longer or getting, I guess, more validation internally of whatever their base cases are to like understand this thing is going to be more viable because again i think a lot of things maybe haven't necessarily worked out based on those huge um acquisition prices yeah. i did want to get your take on because i just made this i made this point the other day and, and it had mixed reviews because people were like you know i don't know and i said about you know especially this olipop poppy conversation with you know the, the likes of and i just think about it as coke and pepsi and i and i made the point just around you know, more from like a, I guess a game theory type of situation where you go, if they make those deals, because now those brands have really positioned themselves as, you know, we want to take out big soda and that's what we're going to do is that with you making a deal though, you know, would obviously be <laughs> fine. It, like it, it signals to the world that you don't think your most valuable IP is as valuable in the future as it, as it, everybody might think like you basically are a, like making that thought because it's not like it's a, you know, a coconut water or this, like that is a different thing where this one is basically saying we are the next generation of soda. So then you're basically saying, well, no longer is our century old IP as valuable as it used to be. You make such an interesting point and it comes from a position of, you know, thinking with one's ego. We talked about this offline a little earlier and I would hate to think that the senior leadership of, of Coke, Pepsi, Keurig, Dr. Pepper, or any of these other big companies would allow that to get in their way. It is possible it will get in their way. But it is naive if they really aren't saying to themselves, people are moving away from traditional carbonated soft drinks. That's, that's just you know, being naive. So they know it. We know it. 
and I think it's much better to be proactive. It is interesting to me that there's um, a number of large companies prefer to take an equity stake first. Hmm. And the downside of that is you signal confidence, the brand takes off, and then you end up paying lots more for it if you do come back and buy it. So I'm not sure how I feel about that playbook. But one way or the other, deals will come back, transactions will come back, and big brands are what big um, companies need. It doesn't move the dial for them to buy a small company. They, they really want scale, and they want something that they can get to a billion dollars quickly. Yeah, I got one last um, question for you because it's in the vein of, I wouldn't say ego and, and just big uh, companies, but, and I know you, you covered a lot of the, you know, the alcohol space for a while. And I'm, I'm thinking about like AB and Bev and I'm thinking about, you know, kind of, obviously they had a tough year for, you know, yeah. reasons, but then, you know, they look at the long term of maybe their business and they go, when do they start to then fill the gap with becoming like a total beverage solution where like they start to go bigger into non alcoholic beverages, they go, you know, deeper into energy, they go deeper into protein, they go deep, like they start to fill out the gaps similar to, you know, a Coke or a Pepsi. They don't just think of themselves as yeah. we're going to stick to beer and we're going to stick, you know, we're going to go all in on that. Right. Well, they've already dipped their toe in. Yeah. And <clears throat> the fascinating thing about companies that have enormous brands with very high margins is it is so hard to get the executive team to focus on anything that isn't going to move the dial you know, in the very foreseeable future within three years. So consistently, they've been failures across whether it be the alcohol beverage companies moving into non-alcohol or the reverse. Maybe it's too early to say with soft drinks moving into alk, maybe there will be some big successes, but time will tell because it's really about sustainable. You can make a big noise and success in your first year or two, but it's harder to sustain that. So years ago, there was almost certainty amongst certain investment professionals that Pepsi would be merged with AB. AB was going to buy Pepsi or Pepsi was going to buy AB. And, you know, I think that a huge merger of a soft drink company and an alcohol company is possible down the line. Which companies that would be, I don't know. But that that makes sense. And really, where you're seeing more of players in the bottling system. So if you look at Reyes, um, the distributors for Corona beer and, and Coke, in much of the country, um, you're they're starting to do now. They don't actually put them on the same trucks, but you've got the senior leadership uh, really understanding the interplay and the value of being in both. So yes, over time, I think you'll see um, emerging of those activities. I don't know what form it will take. No, I I, I definitely agree with you, and um, I feel like we could probably continue talking, but I want to be courteous to your your stopping time. Uh, Thank but, you. Uh, yeah, you know, well, I'd I, love to. It would be fun to come back in six months or three months and see how we're doing. Yeah, yeah, I would love that. So I, again, I just want to appreciate like you taking the time, all of the things that you shared. I just really appreciate our time together. Oh, Josh, I love to do this. And this is such a fun industry. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 